All right, if you would, Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Brother James, have you found your coat? I have not. All right. Brother James's overcoat was hanging up out in the entryway with his car keys in his pocket. Someone must have pretty much the exact same overcoat because there's like 30 of them out there, right? And so somebody snatched his this morning. <laughs> and there are some others hanging up. So if you happen to have black... All right. Uh, he's he's going to take all the other ones hanging up, but uh, he needs his car keys is really what he cares more. I mean, oh. Did Brother Andrew steal your coat? Wow. It was just so nice. Well, amen. All right, that's done. Anything, anything else I can do? Uh, well, he was, he just, you just wanted that Suburban, that's all. Um, don't want to pay for gas, but that's a nice one to, you know. Uh, Revel, Revelation chapter 22. I was going to mention that at announcement time, but all right. It's more dramatic right here. Uh, verse number 13, and uh, we'll read through the end, the end of the Bible. Ultimately, verse number 13 here in Revelation 22, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him, come, uh, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testified these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so last week we did part one. I'm, I'm going to try to do all of part two tonight, uh, mostly because I spent a lot of time uh, setting the stage for part one, actually, this morning, so, or, or for, the, for the opening of part two here. Uh, but here we are, we've got some of the last things, right? You're at the last chapter of the last book, the last few verses of the book. Uh, ultimately, the last things that God wants to slide in there at the end of the Bible. And uh, last week, we, we covered some of them, and we started back there in verse number 14 and 15. And we covered the last partition, the last divide that God puts between those that are saved and those that are lost, those in the city and those out of the city, and how you can know that you're going to be in the city. Uh, ultimately by being in the Lamb's book of life in verse number 27 of chapter 21. Uh, and then we got the last proof of Jesus Christ. I am the root, the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Uh, we talked about Jesus Christ and how wonderful He is and how He fulfills all those things in His life and uh, how He is exactly that and has right to the throne of David and of course is the bright and morning star, the day star that you and I have. And then we've got the last plea. We talked about that in verse number 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. 
And let him that heareth say, come. Everybody's proclaiming one message and one alone, and it's just simply one word, come. <laughs> come. God wants them to come. And so it gets proclaimed, and our job is to proclaim that. We're part of the bride. If we're saved in here tonight, we're part of the bride, and we say, come. And we try to plead with a world that is thirsty. And even if they don't recognize the fact that they're thirsty, whosoever will, let them come. They can't figure out that they need a drink of the water of life and go ahead and get it, then tell them they just need to come anyways, all right? Because uh, the truth is they need it because whosoever will, let them come. And the Lord's pleading with the world, and that's the last plea God gives. He gives one more, one more cry to a world. Hey, come. Come and meet me. Come and see me. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. That's the constant. God is constantly calling to a world to come. <laughs> he, he's always looking for them to come to him. Uh, after we're saved, he's still looking for us to come. <laughs> draw nigh to God and he will draw. He's always looking for us to be near him and closer and gain the relationship. And that's what he's always looking for. Uh, all the way from the Old Testament and him crying out for them to come. And then you get verse number 18 and 19. And we'll break these up a little bit. But verse number 18, uh, you get the last plague that is written in the book. He says this, For I testify on every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And so now, verse 18 and verse 19, taking away from the words of the book of this prophecy in verse 19, uh, God gives one, uh, one final warning, ultimately, in these two verses. And the first portion you have is the last plague. And then he gives you the last penalty, the price of doing certain things and why you're going to be penalized for doing those things. And so I, I set the stage pretty well this morning with the Word of God being preached on the Scriptures this morning. Uh, so let's have a word of prayer. We'll get these two and then we'll get to a much happier ending. I like the end of this message more than the beginning. So, Father, I do thank you for the night and we thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ paying the debt of all of our sins Lord, we can't thank you enough for that call for whosoever will. Uh, Lord, many of us wouldn't have made it if you made it an exclusive crowd. We wouldn't have been in it. Lord, but thank you for being so merciful and gracious to us. Lord, I pray if someone here tonight doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray they wouldn't leave that way and they'd recognize the need and they'd call upon the only Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, help us, Lord, as we look at the end of this book, as we look at the end of the Bible. Father, take in some last things that evidently seem to be the last things you wanted us to get and to hear one more time before you closed it out. And Father, I pray we'd take heed to it. Lord, we love you. We pray you would. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, here we are. And once again, verse number 18, it's the question of uh, adding. Adding. It's about the word. Uh, and he says, well, what is this plague? Well, the the plague is the plagues that are written in this book. Now, you can take that one of two ways. You can take the book of Revelation, or you can take the entirety of the Scriptures. Uh, you can go all the way back to Exodus and get the ten plagues that fall upon Egypt, or you can just deal with the book of Revelation if you like. Uh, personally, I think it's the whole Bible, but if you want to go ahead and take it in Revelation, I think it's pretty bad in Revelation. All right? I mean, if you want plagues, you've got them. Uh, they are replete throughout the book. I mean, that's, that's the warning. That's what he says. He says, hey, if you want to add to the words of this prophecy, now the prophecy, you could say, well, Revelation is the prophecy and it's the, the end times and it's the future. Uh, but you have a, a slew of prophecy throughout the scriptures. 
I mean, we covered it last time when we were talking about Jesus Christ's final proof and He's the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. All that stuff is way, way, way back in the Old Testament. I mean, you're in Numbers getting the prophecies of Jesus Christ. You're in Genesis getting the prophecies of Jesus Christ and the scepter not departing from Judah and the build out to who He's going to be. You get Him all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, right, with the fall of man and the curse that happens. You get, you get Jesus Christ all the way back there. And, uh, and the prophecy that he's going to come and what he's going to do. So the prophecy, I mean, you could t- cover the whole Bible. But even if you don't, I wouldn't want the plagues that are there in the book of Revelation, let alone the plagues that are in the entirety of the Bible. In the, in the tribulation, I'll just give you a taste in case you've never read it. You get hail, scorpions, boils, uh, they're scorched by the sun, multiple diseases and famines, the water is turned to blood, and all sorts of other things that you could keep going with. It's not really the greatest of books. Uh, if you're going to choose, if I was like, boy, I could take the plagues from one book, I would find a better one than Revelation. <laughs> all right. I mean, if I had to choose, but you don't, you don't get to choose. It's either Revelation or the entirety of the scriptures. I lean more toward the entirety of the scriptures because the Bible is a book filled with prophecy. And so he's giving a final warning in the last book, on the last page, on the last set of verses. And he says, hey, don't add to my book. <laughs> That's the, war- the warning is don't add to my book. You say, who gets the plague? Anybody who wants to add to it. That's a scary portion right there. That's a scary thing. Go over to uh, Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30. What is amazing is I have no idea how many verses I went to this morning. I went to a lot of them, and I quoted more. I didn't even go here. We're going to places tonight I didn't go to this morning because that's how much is in the Scriptures about what God worries about with His words. That's that's how much it's in there. And so here he is in in Proverbs chapter 30, and he says in verse number 5, Proverbs 30 verse 5, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His words, lest He reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Say, what's what's the problem? The problem is if you add to the words of God, you're a liar. Say, why? Because He didn't say that. You're bearing false witness. You're a liar. You, You changed what He said. You know, it's amazing. You can change a lot by just adding one little word to a whole lot of things. You change entire meanings. You change the entire connotation, just one word out of place. Isn't his, isn't his statement about it, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pitchers of silver? The right word is amazing. But one sinner destroyeth much good. One lie can destroy a whole lot. And changing what God said does a whole lot of damage. You find that very quickly in Genesis chapter 3. One, at, one addition. Well, I can't touch it. If I touch the fruit, I'll die. She touched it. Did she die? No, because God didn't say that. And if it gets you enough to doubt, then you'll go ahead and eat it. 
That's the trouble with adding. The trouble with adding is that you can bring people to the place where they have to add to what God had to say. And then when it doesn't come up to pass the way that it was supposed to, their answer is, well, then whatever else God said may not be true. That's why you look like a liar and you're found a liar. And God has gone ahead and brought the proclamation that you're already a liar. Look over at Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Chapter 4. You say, but that seems pretty harsh. I didn't say it. God said it. That, that's His decree. His decree is if you add to His Word, and if you go ahead and add to it, you know what you'll be? You'll be found a liar. He gives you a warning all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse number 1, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments which I teach you. For to do them, that ye may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you. Neither shall ye diminish aught from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Say, so what happens to people? You add, you add things and you know what you'll get? You'll get people who can't follow the commandment. You know, we look at, we look at the idea of, a, of salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There are people out there, you know what their answer is? Well, if you haven't been baptized, you haven't been saved. Well, no, you added something. You added something. Now they're going to trust a baptism as opposed to Jesus Christ. That's a problem. You add the sacraments in, you add this, you add that. You keep adding some things, you know what you find? You find that Jesus Christ must not be enough, and then the Bible must not be good. Just a little addition. I mean, you say, is it good? Is it right to go be baptized? Absolutely, it's right. But it doesn't make you any more saved than you were before you got in the water. Amen. See, there's the difference. And the difference makes all the difference when you get to these spots. You start adding to certain things and you start adding to what God said. You know what you'll find? You'll find that you have to do things in other areas to make it match. It's the truth of if you're found a liar, you know what you'll have to do? You'll have to lie somewhere else to cover up the lie that you just told. And so they add and then they take away and then you get all the other things. God is ultimately very concerned about whether you add and notice what else he said there in verse 2 or to diminish aught from it, to take away from it, to remove. Look back at Revelation chapter 22. Like I said, I'm not going to take long on these first two. I think I pretty well hammered on this stuff this morning and I don't want to, I don't feel like I need to tonight at all, but I do want you to see it because it's there. He purposely put it in. And so let's see what he says in verse number 19. You've got the last plague in verse number 18. You've got the last penalty in verse number 19. And if any man shall take away, diminish aught, as he said there back in Deuteronomy chapter 4, take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now this is where you get into, get into some trouble. You go, well, you know, that means they lost their salvation. That's not what he said. That's, that's not what he told you. He said he'll lose his part. He'll lose his part, not himself, out of the book of life. Say, so what's he losing? He's losing an inheritance. You realize that you have two portions that you get. You get salvation, which is eternal, 
And you can't argue with that. You find, I mean, that, there's so many verses on the eternal security of the believer, right? You're sealed onto the day of redemption. Uh, you know, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, right? I, how many verses do we need? <laughs> These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Over and over, we understand we have eternal security. You trust Jesus Christ, His salvation, He takes care of you. It's all over with. But after that, you and I understand as well that we have some things we ought to do. Look back over in uh, Galatians. Uh, well, 1 Corinthians. We'll go to 1 Corinthians first. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice when... I'll, I'll give you a couple examples quickly. Uh, Moses, back in the Old Testament, his, his statement to God when he's pleading for the nation of Israel, right? They've chosen to follow the golden calf. They've chosen to go that direction and they're doing all the thing and God's ready to destroy all of Israel and start over with Moses, right? His, his statement is blot out my name. <laughs> blot out my name, not his part, his name. You get to Revelation chapter 21 and what, whose names are written in the book of life, not their part. The part is not the same as the name. He wrote your name in. That's eternal security. Your name is secured. It's the question of, well, what do I do? What happens after that? Well, verse number 9 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And then he goes on and continues to talk about our members and how we're supposed to not do those things. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Verse 19, which is in you, which you have of God and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He is delineating between an inheritance and a salvation. Look over at Galatians chapter 5. You'll see it again. Galatians chapter 5. You know the spot, verse number 16. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Is he talking to lost people? Of course not. He's going, hey, if you've got, you've got the spirit and you've got the flesh. And the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's only a saved man. A lost man doesn't have the spirit contending with the flesh. All he's got is the flesh. So you've got the saved man and the spirit's lusting against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. They're contrary the one to the other. And he says, okay, but if you do the works of the flesh, you do all these things and such like on this big giant list that I gave, if you do those things, you know what you won't get? You won't get an inheritance. 
That's not the same as salvation. You've already got the Spirit. That's in there. I say, well, what's the inheritance? All those rewards he talks about. For, right? Corinthians, you get gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. You get a pile of wood, hay, stubble, and it's burned up in a fire. You know what you don't have? You, have an, you don't have an inheritance. <laughs> you don't have any reward for being there. He says, hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. That means you can lose those crowns. <clears throat> Could you imagine not having any of those? You got five crowns you can win? Get them all. Just toss them all away. Now, I know the soul winner's crown, and you, and you don't lose that, and I understand that because that person's saved, but you, you, see the, you see the picture real quick. That there's the difference between the inheritance and your salvation. We can go to more places. There's plenty of them. I won't just sake of time. Uh, the, the inheritance is not salvation. It's the difference between being a son and being an heir. Say, so what does that mean? That means that if you don't get an inheritance... You were a lousy son. <laughs> right? Isn't that what they can do? They can adapt the will and make it so that you don't get anything. If someone's close and they're serving and they're right there and they're there and they're faithful right there, normally they're in the will and they get some things. That's normally, it's based upon the relationship between the one who is giving the will and giving the inheritance away to the person who is receiving the inheritance. If your relationship with God is lousy, you know what you won't have? Much of an inheritance. (laughs) What's the inheritance based upon? It's based upon solely what you do and how you live after He saved you. We find that really quick. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And there's verse after verse after verse. And you say, what's He doing? He's letting you know you take away from His Word. You start diminishing from His Word. You know what you'll do? You'll diminish from the glory of who He is. You'll diminish from His greatness. You'll do all those things. You'll just, he'll say, I can't give you any rewards. You'll start losing them. It'll go the other way. And He'll take and He'll take and He'll take. And you say, well, why is He doing that? Because you took from His words. It's amazing. You add to His words, He says, I'm going to add to you. <laughs> it sounds kind of like when He's got those, uh, those servants... And the one guy says, well, you know, I know you're a hard and an austere man and you reap what you don't sow, and you, right? And he says, well, okay, well, since I'm a hard and austere man, I guess I'll do what you asked me to do. <laughs> and we know the Lord's better than being the hard and the austere man. That's not who he is. But if that's who you want him to be, you know what he'll be? He'll be a hard and an austere man. If you want to add to his words, you know what he'll do? Okay, well, then I'll add to you. If you want to add, we'll add. <laughs> And if you want to take away, you know what I'll do? I'll start taking. Why is he so concerned? Why is he so concerned? Well, we read it earlier today, in, uh, or even this evening, right? Every word of God is pure. Every word. We mentioned it earlier with, with uh, Psalm chapter 12, right? The words of the Lord are pure words. Every one of them is pure, and God's worried about the words. That's his, that's his absolute truth. Look over at Matthew chapter 12. It says in Psalm 138, I've magnified my word above all my name. God, God takes that and you and I both know how highly he, he likes to hold up his name. 
I mean, he gave him a name, Jesus, he gave him a name above every name that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. And he says, I took that name and I set my word higher than that. You really think that's something you ought to mess with? He says in Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 37. Well, verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Say, why does God care about words? Because that's how he judges everything, including you and me. We stand in front of him, you know, you know what it's going to be about? Well, what did you say? What did you say? Well, I didn't mean it like that. What did you say? Well, I mean my intentions were, no, what did you say? What's the problem? The problem is people don't care about what they say. And God very much cares about what he said. It's every word of God is pure. And so he puts in the warnings and he puts in the warnings and he puts in the warnings and he tries to make sure everybody knows, hey, don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't mess with it. Just leave it. I'll preserve it. I'll protect it. Don't mess with it. And if you don't mess with it, he doesn't mess with you. Back to Revelation 22. If you do mess with it, then he's got to do something. That's a scary truth. You add, you get the plagues, you take away, you lose the reward, the inheritance, the part that God wants to give you. Verse number 20. Now we'll get to the happy stuff, all right? I don't want to end right there, so we're going to finish up. Verse number 20. He which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. Amen. Uh, this will be the last promise God put in the Bible. You know what's amazing? He says, hey, I've got one more promise. <laughs> I'm coming, and I'm coming quick. You look around, you know what you realize? The Lord's promise is that He's coming back. You get to Numbers chapter 23 and verse number 19, He says, God is not a man that He should lie. <laughs> well, then He's telling the truth. <laughs> and if He's telling the truth, He's coming back. He's telling the truth back there in John chapter 14. He's coming. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's got a promise in there, and it's replete. He does it over and over and over and over and over again. He lets you know, hey, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm not leaving you behind and leaving you to die, and you just go ahead and sit over. And he goes, nope, I'm coming. I'm coming. And by the way, not only is it a sure promise, it is a soon promise. As surely as Jesus Christ spoke it, it will happen. And his statement is, I come quickly. Well, then it's happening soon. It's happening soon. You say, well, you know, where are the, oh, you get the scoffers, right? Where's the promise of his coming? I look around. I'll tell you what, you start looking around now, you start going, well, if it's not soon now, I don't know how much longer it's going to be. I'm not one to date the rapture of the church. That's, that's out of my league, all right? I'm not that smart. I don't even want to try to be that smart. 
Plus, I really don't think I ought to try because then maybe he might move it around a little bit to make me wrong. So I'd much rather just have him do his thing and just stay out of it. Amen. And just let him, maybe he'll come quicker if I don't keep trying to figure him out. But what I know is he can come now. You know, the difference, the difference between the coming and I'm, I'm going to end up preaching on this one of the Sunday mornings because we'll, we'll cover the, the rapture of the church and the tribulation and the one we'll cover those things. But there's a big difference. And this is where people, this whole new, it, it's not new, it's really old, actually. Uh, this, new, this new movement because of Stephen Anderson and some of these guys, they, they came out with this wonderful, they're just novelties. Say, so what are they? They're novelties because they put Baptist on their name and they picked up a King James Bible and act like they believed it when they don't. That's all it is. That's the only thing that makes them a novelty because all they've done is taken what everybody else has done and tried to redo it. You say, what are they trying to do? They confuse the coming and the advent. That's all they do. You realize Jesus Christ is coming and when he comes, he comes to get his bride. But then when he makes the second advent, that's when he puts his feet back down on this planet. <laughs> Those are two separate events separated by the tribulation. <laughs> and you can find that clear as scripture. Feel free We'll get around to it here on about nine more weeks, I think, on Sunday mornings. Come back and you'll hear it. Uh, but the truth is, you, you say, what's the thing? The thing is, they confuse the two because they don't understand they're two different events that are happening. They don't understand. They don't separate them. So it messes them all up. And Jesus Christ is going, surely I come quickly. And he's coming and he's not talking about coming for Israel. He's talking about coming for the church. That's who he's dealing with right here. The spirit of the bride say, come. He's dealing with those. And he says, hey, you know what? I'm coming quick. You see, you get over here and you say, well, the second advent, you need all these things. And all those signs, right? And wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all the... Yeah, but that's for the Jews. The signs are for the Jews because His advent is for them. But you and I understand one thing. I don't care if you believe in a three and a half year tribulation, a seven year tribulation, a 10 year tribulation, a hundred year tribulation. It doesn't matter to me. You're wrong, but anyways, uh, just don't disagree with me and you'll be, no, I'm just kidding. Um, doesn't matter to me, but the truth is I do know one thing for sure. He's coming for me before he ever gets to come for Israel and step down on the face of this earth at the advent. And if I can start seeing some things that are pointing to him coming for them, I am surely getting off at my exit far before they ever do. And that's the difference. You can go ahead and look at all those signs and you can look at all those things. You can try to act like, well, you know, all these things have to happen. Do you realize there is zero signs in the Bible for you and I at a rapture? There's none. Why? Because we're the rapture of the church. We're not the Jews looking for a Messiah. You and I are looking for wisdom. You know, we we can go, we can look at a Bible and go, well, he could come today because he said so. (laughs) That's wisdom. There he comes. You say, when's he coming? I don't know. could be now. Say, yeah, but, uh, you know, he's supposed to come with clouds. There's always clouds. (laughs) By the way, he brings his own anyways. They're his glory. He comes with them. He doesn't need anybody else's cloud. He just decides it's going to be cloudy. All right, here we go. Say, yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, you got to have all these pieces. Israel has to have all these things. You realize Israel can set up a tent and call it a tabernacle and we're done? Like, Old Testament, that's all they did. They don't need an elaborate Solomon temple that they have to build. And what do they need? They just need a tent. 
Doesn't take much. I thought it was interesting that the nation of Israel is, is claiming that in the next year, one million Jews are going to go back to Israel. Amen. <laughs> like, go. <laughs> go. Oh, you don't want them here. I want them here because I know that the Lord will bless us if we keep them safe over here. But the truth is, if they get back there, I might get out of here a whole lot quicker. <laughs> say, what do you see? I see that, you know, in the last days, perilous times shall come. You ever feel like you're in perilous times? <laughs> Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Oh, man. You have more things about self and trying to make you feel good about yourself and go ahead and everything's about you. Everybody thinks everything's supposed to be about me and what can I get and how can I gain? Everything's about, oh, what can I say? And everybody, my opinion matters. Your opinion virtually doesn't matter at all. All right, your opinion matters to the people who actually care what you think. But most of the people in the world of the billions of people on the planet, they don't care what you think and they don't care what I think. We're not important. On a world scale, come on. <laughs> you, may, you may influence, what, a hundred? What a great influencer we are. God didn't call you here to influence anybody. He called you here to worship Him. Amen. Give Him glory and praise and honor. Amen. And we look up, and you know what you ought to do? You ought to remember that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and you and I will be gone. Yeah. It is but a moment. The, the time frame between you and I seeing Jesus Christ, if he decides a trumpet sounds, you and I are gone and it's done. You say, well, aren't we going to get a warning? Probably not. That's a sudden promise. It's a sure promise. It's a soon promise. And I'll let you know, it is a sudden promise. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> You and I will be changed. This corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. You and I will be changed in a moment. And when we step, you're, things that happen suddenly aren't so much fun sometimes. Some people like to be scared. Other people are Pastor Legault. <laughs> I got to pick on him. It's true. He screams like a girl. Um, it's wonderful. <laughs> But watch out, he throws elbows. So, and he's too tall, you'll get it right in the face. That's where it'll be. It won't be a chest, it'll be in the face, okay? So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta block those, all right? Uh, you say, how do you know? Because I sneak up behind him every once in a while just to keep him on his toes. I want to make sure the heart rate goes up, you know, every once in a while. Um, but you, you ever been scared? I mean, like real scared. Like something startled you. Is that pleasant? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> people that like that they're, they're kind of weird right <laughs> things that happen suddenly we normally aren't ready for that there's no preparation for things that happen suddenly you say well, what normally happens you're normally surprised boy i'd hate to have you know why the lord warns you about him coming and to be ready for such an hour you think not the son of man cometh. you know why he warns you over and over again to be looking for his appearing. You know why he keeps telling you all that? He keeps telling you all that because when he shows up, it will be sudden. And you'll be in front of him. And I hope you don't have to be ashamed that it's coming. 
That's the idea. (laughs) It happens suddenly. In a moment, you are there and there is nothing else between you and the God of the universe. You and your Savior will be face to face for the very first time. It'll be a wonderful moment. But it's a sudden moment. I'd hate to be startled and caught off guard too badly. Say, boy, we're having fun. (laughs) Verse number 20. You got the last promise. Surely I come quickly. Amen. And it's followed up with the last prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. John tacks that, he hears Jesus make that statement. And his answer to that statement, his reply right back to Jesus Christ is, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come on. (laughs) Come and get us. Let's do this. John's exiled on the Isle of Patmos. He gets to see all these glorious things. He gets to see the rest of time ultimately play out. And he gets to see everything. And his last statement about it is just, Lord, take us home. Let's get this going. Let's just be done. Let's just go. Let's just get out of here. John wants to see Jesus. John is one of the great pictures of the church. He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's there leaning on his breast at the Last Supper. He finds out about Judas when anybody else doesn't know about Judas. He gets in on all the secrets and all the things. He's always right there. He is the one that is called the the disciple whom Jesus loved. There it is. I wanted the phrase. I was messing it up in my brain. Uh, The disciple whom Jesus loved. That's who he was. You find out he's the most spiritual out of the group. Stays close to Jesus Christ. He walks away when he does. He's the first person to figure out on the boat. Jesus is standing there. Uh, Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter's just excited that all the nets are ready to... And they're overloaded and he's just excited. And John's like, oh, (laughs) I remember about three and a half years ago... (laughs) When we were on a boat and the net started breaking because the guy told us where to go fishing. Hey, Peter, that's the Lord over there. Oops. John understands who he is. John's going, I want him. I want to see him. You know, the church is supposed to want to see him. We're We're supposed to be longing and looking and waiting and hoping We're supposed to be looking and going, Lord, could it be today? (laughs) Lord, would you come? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Come on now. Surely I come quickly. Okay, quickly, today, let's do that. (laughs) Let's let's eliminate the rest of the checklist and you just get right down to the bottom and go, come for my bride. There we go. All right, get here. Get here. John's looking around. You realize the Apostle Paul is looking, right? Paul was looking for his return. We see it just over and over and over. He talks about it. He talks about it in Thessalonians. He talks about it to the Corinthians. He talks about it in just general places just to slide it in to let you know, hey, he's coming. And then he gets to the end of his life and he says that there's a crown of uh, rejoicing or a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give him at that day and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He's getting down to the end of his life and his statement is, I just love to see him come. I just love to see him. You get thinking about that that moment when you finally get to see your Savior 
And if you've done any type of witnessing, you've done any type of talking to people, you've, you've tried to lead your family to the Lord, even if they're lost, you understand one thing. The person I've been talking about, the person who saved me, the person I've been trying to get to know, the person who I've been trying to grow and learn and listen and try and do what he asked me to do, the person I've tried to be as close to as possible, that person right there I'm finally going to see face to face. What a marvelous day. (laughs) And we ought to be looking for him. The church, nobody else is looking. The lost world's not looking for him. The Jews aren't looking for him. They may be trying to find a Messiah, but they're not looking for Jesus. They've rejected him. There's a small, simple group (laughs) who's just looking up waiting for the redemption. The redemption of the body and away we go. There's a small group, but they ought to be pleading for it. They ought to be, Paul's looking for it. He tells Titus to look for it. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking, looking, looking. John, even so, come Lord Jesus. Just that plea of prayer that one last final prayer that he sends up surely i come quickly amen even so come lord jesus say what's it going to be like when i get to see him i have no idea i mean we got some verses right how can we describe the greatness of finally seeing our savior i i can't quantify that I certainly couldn't do it justice. The feeling we'd have, the emotion that goes along with that, the glory and splendor of who God is, the realization that you're looking at the one that you've walked by faith and not by sight to go ahead and understand. Now, I know this is a slightly selfish moment right here. All right. But, especially in my position... And I, I get to preach every week and I talk about Jesus Christ every week from a pulpit to a group of people. But on top of that, all the personal witnessing that you've ever done, all the people you've ever talked to, all the things. You know, one of the things that I just think is going to happen, we're, we're walking by faith. We believe we're right. But when faith becomes sight, <laughs> you know, we get to go. I was right. <laughs> I was right. <laughs> You know, we believe we're right, but boy, you ever know that you're right, but you finally got to be right. (laughs) You're like, oh, I mean, I knew I was right, but thank goodness I was right. That's going to be a wonderful day. The day when you get to go, I knew I was right. I knew he told us that. I knew that book was true. I knew what he was saying. I knew he washed me of my sins. I knew I was forgiven forever. I knew he was everything he said he was. I knew. And now I know. And now I really know. We know it. That's when you get to the end of 1 Corinthians 13, and he's talking about now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Say, why? Because faith becomes sight. And you finally get to see all the things that you knew were true are right there in front of your face. 
need to finally, I was, I was right. Me and the Lord, he, he is the Savior. He is everything he said he would be. And he has done everything he has said he would do. And you get to step in front of him and you get to see him. And you know what? You ought to be longing to see him. You ought to be loving the day when he finally does show up. We ought to wake up in the morning and go, Lord, is it today? Lord, could it be today? I know it could be. Would you make it today? Now, I know the Lord has all of his timetables, all right? I'm not, I'm not that crazy, all right? I know he's got everything right. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth the Son, made a woman, made a He's got a timetable. He knows what he's doing. But Moses got to move God. I wonder if Christians would long a little bit more if he may move that time just a little bit up. <laughs> you say, oh no, his timetable's set. Eh, maybe. But the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so maybe, just maybe, if we pray a little bit harder, <laughs> we long a little bit more, maybe he'd come today. You say, well, it'd be all in his schedule. Maybe. Or maybe you could move God just by loving His appearing and looking for Him. You know, you look around at this world and you know what you do? This world, I don't know about you, this world makes me long to go home. Who would have thought America would be where it is right now? 20, 30, 40 years, nobody thought this was going the way we were going. I can't even, in my lifetime, I can't even imagine how far we've moved. And just the thought that, you know, you can't go out and just, oh yeah, let the kids play on the lawn. You'd never do that now. (laughs) You're constantly watching. Before, I mean, we talked about this before, but uh, my mom, when, when we were growing up, dad's at work there was a there was a gas station down the road from where we lived we were all kids and we'd walk down to the gas station and we'd go by you know mom wanted some milk so we'd go down to the gas station get milk just because it was easy we'd walk down and we're kids we're all by ourselves mom didn't even come with us we just walked down to the store and we'd walk down and we'd walk back and we'd buy whatever we needed and we'd come back and we got back to the and we drove over there one time and we're like mom that was like a mile away like, we measured it. We, we drove it and we're watching. And I'm like, How, you let us walk a mile in one direction by ourselves? You're crazy. And she's like, it was no big deal then. It's no big deal then. Now you look at a world and you go, I would never. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> Guaranteed, I would never. Perilous times. You know what you find? Those things start making you long for home. And I hope you're tagging your prayers with something similar to even so, come Lord Jesus. Perhaps today. That ought to be the cry of every Christian. Perhaps today. Would you come today? Get us out of here today? See, that seems like a selfish prayer request. Eh, Maybe a little. But you also know that the day he comes is one day quicker before he sits upon a throne and rules forever. 
When he's done with the church age and he finishes up and we all step off the face of this earth, his timetable is pretty well set. <laughs> and he'll hit the end of time. And you know what it'll be? The kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And when they turn on him, he goes ahead and melts everything and goes, and then he's on his throne forever and ever. <laughs> and there's nobody who gets to say anything ever again. <laughs> he wins and it's all over with. You say, well, why should we pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Because the sooner Jerusalem gets peace, the sooner you and I get out of here. The, the sooner a trumpet sounds, the sooner he sits upon a throne. I hope you're longing for it. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. I know that wasn't a ton of preaching tonight, but... Praise the Lord for the promise that He's coming. I'm glad He's not a liar. Surely I come quickly. Praise the Lord, you and I can cry out to Him one more time. Could it be today? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Maybe you haven't been loving His appearing. Maybe you've kind of let some things get in the way of that. Maybe you need to get that back into focus. Lord, today, come today. I don't need to do anything else. I just need you to come today. We let other things get in the way. We say, Lord, if you could just wait a little bit longer for me to get what I want. When really what you should want is him. Face to face. I hope you're longing for it. I hope you're waiting for that promise and you're looking for it. If you're in here and you're lost without Jesus Christ, you're not looking for that day. You're hoping that day delays as long as possible so you can do whatever it is you want to do. But the Bible makes it very plain. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. And He wants to save you if, you if you'd be willing. Would you call upon Him today? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you too can be looking and longing for a home in heaven, for a Savior to come. But He already came to save you if you'd want Him. If you would, let us open up a Bible. We'd show you out of the Word of God how you can know your sins are forgiven forever and you can trust Jesus Christ. We'd love to do so. Christian, I hope you're longing for His appearing. Lord, I do pray you would bless our night tonight. Be the invitation even now. Lord, if someone here doesn't know Jesus, I pray they'd come. You'd give them the courage to come forward. Father, I pray you'd help us each to have our eyes on a Savior. Our eyes to the skies looking for a trumpet to sound and our Savior to show up in those clouds and bring us home. Father, I do pray you would come soon in Jesus' name. Amen.